Welcome to Everything Scary. My name is Lynn, and I'm here with my sister Haley. My interests consist of everything true crime, but Haley, not so much. She signed on here to be with me and let me hurl true crime facts at her. And every week, my goal is for her not to walk out on me. I hope you like what you hear, and if so, please leave a five-star rating. And if you don't, thank you for your time. Here we go. Okay, so I'd like to, uh, first of all, welcome my guest co-host, Matt. Thank you. Can can I say where you're from? Of course. Okay, so he's from Fresh 93.1, mm-hmm. which is like my all-time favorite radio station. <laughs> I've been listening since you joined Tara. Really? Yep. That's exciting. This is a big thrill for you. Then. <laughs> <laughs> this is like Brad Pitt sitting around here. Right? <laughs> so. Well, this is cool for me too. I'm very nervous. Really? I've gotten into your podcast and love it. <laughs> Even when your sister that. cries. Yeah. Well, that, she only cries with animals stuff so we'll try not to do that so often um so this is a big one because this is kind of a case that i uh i've known for it it happened in 2002 Mm -hmm. so it's kind of a case for 20 years that i've just assumed i knew what was happening right and now i'm not so sure i knew what was happening so here we go it's uh the lacey and scott peterson case okay it's actually it's my lengthiest case to date. So this story that I'm about to tell you has been done to death. Um, It was a media sensation when it all transpired. And I think probably most of us that are into this type of thing agreed with the verdict. But please bear with me because I'm going to take a spin on it Mm. and change things up a bit. Like I said, I I thought this was an open and shut case. All the evidence pointed to one person and one person alone. Mm -hmm. So first, I'm going to tell you the story that I have believed for 20 years. Okay. Do you know this case at all, Matt? Uh, not real. I mean, I know the name Scott Peterson. I know right. Lacey Peterson. But uh, no, because you and I were talking, and I think I was getting it confused with the Chandra Levy case. Oh. So just, I think, early 2000s, it was all the CNN talking heads. It was Nancy Grace. So I think all of those shows, you, a lot of them got kind of mixed up in the lexicon, I think. Nancy Grace to me is like... Um, the worst kind of person. She's just the worst kind of person. <laughs> I just, I, 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 every time she comes on my TV, I just want to punch it. Yes. Like she, I mean, she has some good points. Like when she was calling Casey Anthony the top mom and whatnot. Yeah. But she also sways you in such a direction that you just, you don't have any other choice than to believe what she's saying. Yes, it, it should have, her show should not have been on a news channel. I think it would have done great uh, as like a kind of like a TMZ kind like of Like she could be like or, Steve Wilkos or something. And yes, like there you throw go. Throw a chair at somebody. <laughs> That's I don't, right. Yeah, she should not have been a news thing. No, okay. But she was a prosecutor. Like she's a smart lady. Yeah. But Jesus Murphy. <laughs> okay, so. Sorry, my iPad's acting up. Can you tell everybody what your screensaver is? My screensaver on your iPad is Bluey. Um, it's the I slipped on my beans. What do you know Bluey at all? No, not at all. I oh, just saw well, a cartoon that said you're missing I out. slipped on my beans. I'm not I'm embarrassed like, at all because that's a great show. It's like I wonder how many true crime <laughs> podcasters have that as a screensaver. <laughs> it's a great show, and if anybody out there is listening, I don't care how old you are, watch Bluey. It's Australian. It's about two dogs, and they're fantastic. And then he slipped on the beans. <laughs> okay, so here's what I have. Okay. In 2002, Amber Fry was a single mother of a one-year-old girl. Uh, her name was Ayana. It's A-Y-I-A-N-A. Okay. Ayana. Amber was trying to make a life for herself and her young daughter and had recently started a career as a massage therapist. In November of 2002, 
Amber's friend, Sean Siebley, met a man at a conference uh, that had to do with pest control. This man was a fertilizer salesman, and he was there in business. Like a bullshit dealer? <laughs> like, literally? He went to school for it, so I think... <laughs> I, he must know a lot about fertilizer. I'm not. I'm not very educated in the way of fertilizers. I buy mine from Zares, and that's about all I got. <laughs> uh, so this man's name was Scott Peterson. Scott was born on October 24th, uh, 1972, to Jackie and Lee Peterson. Lee was a businessman who owned a crate packaging company, and his mother Jackie owned a boutique uh, in La Jolla, California, called The Put On. She seems like super modern. On. Yeah. Let me get the put on. <laughs> uh, Scott was handsome and charismatic. Apparently, Scott had tried to make moves on Sean, but she wasn't into it. Mm. But she had someone in mind for Scott. On November 20th of 2002, Scott Peterson had a blind date with Sean Siebley's best friend, Amber Fry. The chemistry was undeniable. Amber was thrilled. Scott was handsome, successful, romantic. And to her, they seemed like the perfect match. Somewhere down the line, Sean became aware of the fact that Scott was married. Whoa. Not good. Sean confronted Scott and told him on a Friday that if he did not come clean with Amber by the Monday, which was December 9th of 2002, Sean would take it upon herself to tell Amber. So on December 9th, Scott showed up at Amber's doorstep and he told her he was in fact married, but that he had lost his wife. Oh. <gasps> Amber said that Scott was sobbing and inconsolable. So she didn't want to push the issue any further. She just comforted him and let him know that it was okay that he had lied originally. She was just happy that he was now being open and vulnerable with her. But he's not, are you, <clears throat> pardon me, are you a widow, widower? Yeah, if you lose your wife, is he's like, I'm still married, but she's dead. Like, well, here's the thing, is he never actually said she was dead. Oh. She, he said that he lost his wife. And because he was sobbing and like. Just moved on. She was like, okay, you lost your wife. Like, she just assumed that right. she was dead. So that's, that's all he said was that she was lost. Okay. Um, he's a was, fertilizer salesman. He's, he's a good fertilizer selling salesman. Selling some shit. <laughs> 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 so now she was happy that he was being open and vulnerable with her. He even told Amber that this would be his first Christmas without his beloved wife. He was quite the sympathetic character. <sighs> Poor Scott. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah right. <laughs> On that same day, December 9th, Scott went out and he purchased himself a 14-foot aluminum fishing boat, which he kept at his warehouse. Scott then made the 11-minute drive back home to his house at 523 Covina Avenue in Modesto, California. Scott lived in a nice three-bedroom home. He had an in-ground pool, a nice fenced-in yard. It was a great neighborhood, a perfect place to raise a family. He had a golden retriever, which is... Oh. I love golden yeah. retrievers. That's my favorite mm -hmm. type of dog. Um, he also had two cats. I don't really know too much about cats. They're your co-host would probably yeah. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy cats, but I only have only, only dogs. I don't, I don't know too much about them. Their names were Siam and Gracie. I'm gonna say that Siam might have been a Siamese cat because of his name. Okay. That's my speculation. I don't know anything else. <laughs> Maybe they were tabbies. <laughs> I don't know. They could have been anything, really. Um, so by the looks of things, Scott was living the dream. A nice home, a nice career, the dog of my dreams, a pool, and a cute new girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And Scott actually had so much more as well. He had a very live, very pregnant, beautiful wife. <gasps> 
Bum, bum, bum. Maybe you just lost her in the grocery store for a minute and they moved on. Yeah, that's when I lose my kids in a grocery yeah. store, I'm like, I lost one. I lost them. That's it. Did you look? No, I. I mean, self checkout. I was, there was no line. I had to go. <laughs> uh, he had not lost his wife in any way. And she was eight months pregnant with a baby boy that the couple had decided to name Connor. Connor's nursery was even all set and furnished and ready for to welcome their baby boy. Just as Sean Sibley had been warned, Scott was, in fact, married. Scott and Lacey had met in 1995. Lacey was born May 4th, 1975. She was born Lacey Denise Roca to Sharon and Dennis Roca. Lacey's mom had named Lacey after a beautiful girl that she went to high school with, which is funny because that's actually how I... My my sister's middle name came to be. I really? was six when she was born, and my parents said that I could name, give her her middle name. And I went to school with this beautiful girl named Tara. And so my sister is Haley Tara because really? of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you still talk to Tara? What's her deal? Cause... Uh, you know, I, she lives in Richmond Hill somewhere. I'm sure she's fine. Okay. I don't know if she's still beautiful, but she was in grade two. <laughs> so Lacey's parents divorced early on and she had a brother. Uh, she, she and her brother Brent were still fairly young when they divorced. Uh, Sharon later remarried a man named Ron Gratzky and he loved Brent and Lacey as if they were his own. Lacey loved gardening and had majored in or, ornamental horticulture. Oh, yeah. I know yeah. what that is for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I was actually, I looked it up. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I still didn't understand the explanation when Sounds, I looked it up. So it's like, it's just like trimming hedges into animals or something. It was like, I, I can't. I, I would love to tell you, like, a brief. I have no idea. Sorry. <laughs> but she also did work as a substitute teacher, which mm, I understand. I That I know. Yep. Heard of that for sure. <laughs> so both Scott and Lacey attended California Polytechnic State University and had originally met during a party, but nothing came from their first meet. Lacey was absolutely stunningly beautiful. I hate to sound cliche because of all, all these murder victims are always, they lit up a room where mm-hmm. they've never met a stranger, you know. Yeah, didn't change their life, just had a quick chance. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. If, I, if I turned up murdered tomorrow, like people would be like, I mean... No, they wouldn't. Everybody would say, you know. (laughs) She was fine. She talked about murder so much. (laughs) She was such an asshole. Like, nobody's going to think of that. Oh, she was lovely. She lost her kid in a store and didn't even look. (laughs) She went to the self checkout. (laughs) Like, no one's saying that I never met a stranger because I'm always super weird around strangers. But anyways, I hate to sound cliche, but Lacey did light up a room with Mm -hmm. her smile. I've seen many pictures of this girl and she was just so beautiful mm-hmm. um even pregnant and i i looked oh god <laughs> like a walrus if you can imagine a human <laughs> you didn't. I, I look like a human version of a walrus when i was like pregnant. you're glowing like, shut up i'm not glowing <laughs> i was just shoving shawarmas into my face i couldn't even respond <laughs> so, uh, so lacy had shoulder length dark hair that framed her beautiful face And she had these shining, happy, dark brown eyes. Uh, She was little. She was only standing at about 5'1". But it was at the Pacific Cafe in Morro Bay when Lacey saw Scott again. Lacey was there visiting a friend who worked there, and Scott was her friend's co-worker. Lacey's friend introduced the two, 
And Lacey made the bold first move and gave Scott her phone number. Good for her. Right? I mean, not in the end, but I mean, at the moment. <laughs> do you ever, when you're doing these podcasts, do you, are you ever like, no, like you feel like you're in that time? Like I'm like, if they just didn't meet there. You know, I, I'm not, but I think Haley is because the like one of the last ones we did, uh, the Scream Murders, mm -hmm. Haley kept bugging me about the dog. She's like, if it's a Rottweiler, then they're going to be safe. And yeah. I'm like, what was Haley. <laughs> It's done. <laughs> She's like, do better research. You're like, what do you want from me? I got the dog's name. I'm trying to get this. Like, but it was already done. Like, yeah. I wish, I wish that if it was yeah. a Rottweiler, it would have been a different story. But right. unfortunately, it happened in 2006, and it's yeah. just, it wasn't my, uh, mm -hmm. my decision. I, w I would not have done that. If right. It was. Good call. <laughs> Thank you. That's what they're going to say about you. You know, she wouldn't have murdered anybody. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, okay. So yeah, she gave him her phone number. Uh, the first couple of dates that these two shared were anything but perfect. They really didn't have a ton in common. And on their first date, Scott took Lacey deep sea diving, or sorry, deep sea fishing, where she became seasick. That's a terrible date. Yeah, what? I mean, I guess if you find somebody who likes that, that but it's really a niche kind of thing, right? It's like it's not quite presumptuous. Very presumptuous, absolutely. Like, yes, yeah. take go to a steakhouse. Yeah, that is a safe bet. Mm -hmm. I think, unless they're vegan. Oh yeah. They can't have a salad. Yeah. They watch you eat. <laughs> I said, I personally think vomiting in front of a romantic interest is just about as vulnerable as it gets. <laughs> Get so out of the way. So if you can survive that in your relationship, <laughs> then the rest is smooth sailing, right? <laughs> Scott proposed to Lacey on August 9th of 1997. They were madly in love uh, as far as everyone around them could tell. When they returned from their honeymoon, the couple decided to open a burger joint and they called it The Shack in San Luis, San Luis Obispo, California. Mm, heard of it. You pronounced it perfectly, by the way. That's Thank you so is, much. Sure. I'm sure I did. Yeah. I'm sure I won't get any comments on <laughs> me. I'm an idiot. Um, in 2000, the couple sold the business and moved to Modesto, which I can pronounce. I heard of that, yeah. To be you heard about it like two minutes ago. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> to be closer to Lacey's family. Scott, being an agricultural business major. Oh, nice. Told ya. <laughs> became a fertilizer salesman while Lacey became a substitute teacher. Well, in Modesto, they started trying for a baby. In May of 2002, Lacey became pregnant. This would have been the ideal family situation for most. But as it turns out, Scott is a self-proclaimed sex addict. Oh, God. Yeah. And it's likely at eight months pregnant, Lacey was probably sore and tired and from my personal experience, your body's just so unflattering and it's the furthest thing from your mind. Right, the whole walrus thing? The wal I gotcha. No, yep. <laughs> I didn't even want to see myself naked, let alone someone else. <laughs> so, so Scott did what he had to do as a poor man who was being denied his basic needs. Oh, God. And he went out and he got himself a girlfriend because what else could he have right, done? Right, the logical thing, yeah. He's, this guy was, oh God, it's poor Scott. <laughs> So just to recap, Scott told Amber that he lost his wife. He cried uncontrollably to the point where she was uncomfortable to ask any questions. Mm -hmm. He bought a 14-foot aluminum boat on that same day. And now here we are on December 14th. Beautiful Lacey poses and smiles for a picture at her company Christmas party, telling colleagues that Scott could not make it because he had to rendezvous with a boss at the San Francisco airport. It's oddly specific and extremely general. And also fertilizer? 
Like, what's happening there? Why the airport? <laughs> I, I, you know what? To be a fly on the wall in that meeting. But that meeting obviously was not happening because Scott was actually at his girlfriend's Christmas party. Uh, Amber would later testify that he was at her Christmas party and she had the photos to prove it. For the record, they were adorable if, like, uh, it was a single couple. They were very cute, but... His beautiful, poor, pregnant wife was sitting alone. I mean, and, you know, cheating 101, no photos. No you know, photos. this is 2002, though. This is a time, a different time. Yeah, true. Um, so on December 23rd, Lacey and Scott went to Lacey's half-sister Amy's home. Amy was a hairdresser, and she was going to give Scott a haircut. And she was also going to show Lacey, she was also going to show Lacey how to use a curling iron to achieve the look that she wanted for her holiday events. Amy would later state that Lacey was wearing a black shirt with tiny flowers on it and tan pants. This is worth noting. Okay. Noted. Noted. Scott had originally planned to go golfing on Christmas Eve while Lacey marinated the French toast that she was making for Christmas morning as well as mopped the floor and took the dog for a walk. Aw. Can I just pause for a second to say what an amazing husband Scott is? Oh, (laughs) golf. Well, he didn't end up golfing because it was too cold, so he went fishing. (laughs) Um, so Lacey at eight months pregnant was, uh, mopping the floor while he was doing his thing. Cinderella. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) right. Um, but regardless, Scott couldn't end up going fishing or sorry, couldn't end up going golfing because it was too cold and windy. So he decided to fish. And I looked this up because there's a lot of, um, people saying if it was too cold to golf, isn't it too cold to fish? I would think it would be colder on the water. It was, but I mean, you're not shooting a little ball with the wind and stuff like that. Oh, okay. And also apparently like fall fishing is very, because they're trying to plump up so that they don't freeze when it gets super cold. So it, it, it's a lot more, um, they get a lot Easier. more bites. Okay. So I, I looked it up. That. I don't know anything okay. about fishing. Um, so your browser history is... I have a Very weird browser. I, you know what? If anything happened to me and they looked in, uh, there would be, there would definitely be a 2020 on me for sure. <laughs> um, but regardless, he couldn't go golfing because it was too cold. So he mm-hmm. ended up deciding to go fishing. So on the morning of the 24th, according to Scott, Lacey awoke about 7 a.m. Scott recalled that Lacey had worn his blue pajama pants to bed because she was eight months pregnant and all of her pajamas were too small. Scott woke up a little while after, and Lacey got ready for the day. He loaded three pool umbrellas into the back of his truck to take them to the warehouse. His neighbor, Kristen Dempelwolf, saw him and waved and had a brief brief interaction with him as he loaded the umbrellas. In Scott's version of things, after loading the umbrellas, he goes inside, hangs out with Lacey for a bit. They watch some Martha Stewart show together, and she asks him to please fill the mop bucket for her which he does, and he leaves as she's in the middle of mopping. She mops a lot. They had I'm two curious. cats and a dog, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Checks out. <laughs> so Scott's warehouse is very close to the Peterson house, uh, and this is where the boat was kept. So at 10.05, Scott is checking the voicemail on his work phone, and then he checks his emails, and he searches for things on the Internet from 10.30 to 10.56. He also looks up instructions on how to build a tool that he had recently purchased. He then spends 20 minutes assembling said tool, and then he heads off to the Berkeley Marina. Once at the Berkeley Marina, two witnesses said that they watched as Scott struggled to get his boat off of the back of his truck and get it into the water. 
Scott fished for about an hour and a half, and then he called Lacey, first at home, and according to him, he left a voicemail, but the second one was to her cell phone, and it became infamous because it's, it, everybody says it, it was too nice. It was, uh, they ended like they were just, they just started dating. So I actually did have it. I wrote it here. So after five years of marriage, and she's eight months pregnant, he said, and he's having an affair. Mm-hmm. He says, hey, beautiful, I just left you a message at home. It's 2.15. I'm leaving the Berkeley. I won't be able to get to Vela Farms to get the basket for Papa. I was hoping you would get this message and go on out there. I'll see you in a bit, sweetie. Love you. Bye. Is that like, I don't want to skip ahead. Is it like an like an alibi setting text? That's what they like, think. Yeah, okay. And it kind of sounds, and then, you know what? Totally. I always So many times. How many, how many often do you reference like the time? That's right. In a text. Yeah. You're right. It does sound like an alibi, but mm. so on his way home at 3.20, Scott got gas and at 3.52, he tried to call Lacey again, but he did not leave a message at this time. But back in the morning of this day at around 10.18 that morning, a neighbor of the Petersons named Karen, oh, no. <laughs> Karen oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> sees their dog Mackenzie with her collar and leash wandering around the streets. Her leash was covered in grass and leaves and debris from being dragged throughout. Karen put Mackenzie back into the Peterson backyard and went about her day. So the next part here is all according to Scott during his interrogation. Okay. Scott got home at around 4.30 to 4.45. He came home and Lacey's car was still in the driveway. Also, once he got into the house, he noticed that her purse, phone, and keys were all still in the house. Did she work? Was she still working? Well, she went to her work Christmas party, so I think so. Okay. Um, but this was Christmas Eve, right? So she was, she had plans to cook with her mom. Um, so yeah, he noticed all of her stuff still there for a second. It gave him pause because she was clearly not home, but all of her important items were still there. But Scott assumed that since they were celebrating Christmas Eve dinner with Lacey's parents, that they'd probably picked her up, uh, so she could get started cooking with them. So Scott went in, threw his moist, stinky fishing clothes into the washer and started a load. Oh, which moist, stinky fishing clothes. It just doesn't track for a man with me. <laughs> yeah, right away. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> These stink. I got to get them. Those are on the floor. Yeah. Somebody else has to deal with them. Yeah. But whatever. Um, and then he, dis- okay, that the last part, not even kind of gross. Okay. Then he disgustingly grabbed some leftover pizza out of the fridge. Mm-hmm poured himself a glass of milk Mm -hmm. and headed to the shower with food and milk in tow. Ugh. What milk? You're an adult. You know, Matt, I don't feel like you're as horrified by this as I am. What what is the... (laughs) He's eating pizza and drinking milk in the shower. Oh, he's in the shower? No, (laughs) the only thing to have in the shower shower. is a beer. That's it. Shower beers, it's a term for a reason. It's not a term. I've never heard that term. Shower beers? Oh, yeah. Oh, you're not a degenerate. You hang out with me more often. You'll be drinking in the shower. Yeah, I'm just just down and I'm going to shotgun a beer in the shower. <laughs> okay. So like I said here, I have very young children and I can tolerate some pretty disgusting stuff. <laughs> My five-year-old will dip his broccoli in ketchup. But as a grown-ass man drinking a cup of milk, eating cold pizza and doing this all while showering... This is the most disgusting thing I can even envision. Yeah, just the... Uh, the steam and the milk. The, I know, the warm water washing over you as I, you're drinking a cold glass of milk. But uh, 
I actually had heard before in researching this case um, from a couple different articles that he had the shower pizza and milk. And I just, I, I thought it must have been a case of broken telephone. And then I watched his interrogation videos. <laughs> and this dude had a glass of milk in the shower. <laughs> Weird. Where do you put the glass? I mean, I in guess. In the shower caddy? Yeah. Oh God. Because you can't know. hold it the whole time and get an effective wash. That that is probably the least of my worries. Yeah, that's true, actually, <laughs> considering we're talking about his interrogation. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So, so after the pizza shower, Scott got out and he listened to the voicemails on the home phone. He heard his own message, which had not been heard. Um, like it had not been played before mm-hmm. he listened to it. Um, but then he heard one from Ron, which is Lacey's stepdad, asking that they pick up some whipped cream on their way over. That gave Scott pause because he assumed that Lacey was already there. So he called her parents and quickly found out that Lacey was not there. Lacey's parents advised Scott to go and start talking to the neighbors and they would call 911. At 547, Ron calls 911 and advises that his eight-month pregnant daughter is missing. By 6 p.m., officers arrive. By this point, Scott has gone to Karen's house She was not home, so he left a note. He went to his neighbor Amy's home, and she said that right before he got home, she saw their Christmas lights go on. Um, And these Christmas Hmm. lights were the ones that you had to, it wasn't like a sensor. You had to plug it in. So she had seen them go on, and then she had come back, and they'd been off. Um. And she, he went to the the neighbor on the right side of Amy's home, and they were not there. By midnight, which was early Christmas morning, Scott was in an interrogation room. He, it was during this interrogation that Scott happily agreed to take a polygraph test. He asked the officer if they're accurate and said if they were accurate, he would gladly do it. By December 28th, police are combing the marina. On December 30th, Lacey's still missing, and at this point, police revealed to the media what Scott's alibi was for December 24th. Fishing. He was fishing, and they told exactly what marina he was at, which is problematic. Okay. Stick with me. I'm with you. (laughs) (laughs) December 30th is also significant um, because it is also the day that Amber Fry realizes that her dreamboat new boyfriend is all over the news because of his missing pregnant wife. Right. I forgot about her already. (laughs) Um, I just want to take a quick pause and say that Amber is not a supervillain. She's... She had absolutely no clue that Scott was married, and when she saw the news, she called the police right away and confessed her relationship. She agreed to have her phone tapped and was more than happy to help out in any way, shape, or form. Uh, Amber was devastated by the missing soon-to-be mother and the potential role that she had unknowingly played in it. Was she, like, uh, kind of villainized at the time in the media, kind of? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And you know what the saddest thing was? Is that Lacey's beautiful and Amber's beautiful. But everybody was like, why would he cheat with her? Like, his wife is so much more beautiful right, than she was, yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Like, it was just, she was just torn down yeah. entirely. For nothing. For just, it, just getting caught all up. All she thought she was doing was she's a single mom, and she's finally getting a good guy. Yeah. And then it turned out that he was a shitbag. Yeah. Um, so Amber said that within minutes of them tapping her phone, Scott called her. In the Dateline that I watched <laughs> with Keith Morrison, <laughs> yeah, you boy. my favorite, he's, uh, he's talking to Amber and she says that the phone rang instantly once it was tapped. And his, in his super Keith Morrison voice, he goes, <laughs> oh boy. 
at his wife's okay this also I knew about this when it happened and this also was like it, it was the nail in the coffin to me at his wife's candlelit vigil Scott speaks with Amber on the phone literally in the midst oh of my. her family's there everybody's there they're looking for Lacey they're praying for Lacey and this is how the phone call went so Amber says are you having a good time Amber knows at this point, too, yeah. by the way. She's playing a role. Yeah. Scott goes, Amber, hey, happy New Year's. Amber goes, happy New Year. Scott goes, I wanted to call you. And Amber goes, thank you. And Scott goes, Amber, are you there? And Amber goes, I'm here. And Scott goes, Amber. And Amber goes, I wish you could hear me. And Scott goes, I'm on the, uh, I think you're there. I'm uh, near the Eiffel Tower. And the New Year's Eve celebration is unreal. The crowd is huge. He's in Paris, according to Scott. <laughs> Amber goes, the crowd is huge. Scott goes, Amber? And Amber goes, yeah, I'm here. Scott goes, Amber, if you're there, I can't hear you. If you're there, I can't hear you right now, but I'll call you on New Year's Eve. So he told her that he was in Paris. In Paris, clearly. yeah. You know, like, he, it, it's all it's over all, the media. It's a national, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like one of the most sensationalized stories. Like if she was in a box maybe she wouldn't have known but like yeah. everyone i knew when i was like what in 2002 i was like 18 years old i knew about all of this yep. so on january 6 2003 scott was forced to come clean with amber about his fake tri trip to paris and his missing wife i'm only going to include part of this call because it's super long and only part of it's relevant okay so amber says you came to me earlier in december and you told me that you lost your wife what was that about and scott said she's she's alive which uh, gives me pause too, okay. right? Yeah. Because like a lot of these times these criminals slip up mm -hmm. and refer to their victims in the past tense. Right. It happens so often. Mm -hmm. um, he then goes on to tell her that there's different ways you can lose people and that he hadn't meant that she died. Ah, come on. Yeah, shut up, Scott. Yeah, you lying. Fertilizer <laughs> salesman. <laughs> when she asked him to explain what he meant... By lost, he said he just couldn't. <laughs> he just bailed on the lie. Yeah, he's, he's, like, you're going to find me. out, like, Scott's, they make him out to be, like, this genius, mm -hmm. but he's actually super dumb. Yeah. just <laughs> Like, it's incredible, really, how, what, what they give this guy credit for. So, on January 24th of 2003, Amber makes a public statement about her relationship with Scott. She admits being ro romantically linked to him and advises that she had... He had told her that she had ne he had never been married initially. In the press conference, Amber states that she could have sold this story, and she could have. Yeah, like, for sure. This would have been a huge, a single mom, like she could have made serious money off of this, but she didn't feel like it was right. She wanted to come clean, and she looked devastated too. Like, yeah. I just felt so bad for her. Uh, she fought back tears while on the stand, and you can clearly see that she actually has more feelings about Lacey missing than Scott actually did. Ugh. She even apologizes to Lacey's friends and family. She then asks her own friends and family to not come forward and accept any money to speak to the media about her. She pleaded and presented that she has a 23-month-old baby at home and wanted to protect her from all of this. On March 5th of 2003, Lacey's case is now being looked at as a homicide, obviously. Was that <laughs> three months? Yeah, three months later. Yeah, okay. And sadly, on April 13th, they found baby Connor's body on the shoreline of San Francisco Bay. And the next day, they found Lacey's torso a mile away from her son, Connor. 
Torso. Torso, yeah. So she was missing her head, uh, one leg, one foot. Holy shit, I don't remember that part. Yeah. And she was also missing, I don't include it in here because it was really gruesome, but she was also missing all of her organs. So like her heart, her lungs. Weird. Like a lot of things that wouldn't have just fallen out. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, on April 18th of 2003, after the body of Lacey and Connor are found and identified, Scott is arrested. Um, but here's the sketchy part. Scott was arrested near La Joya Golf Course. Scott had dyed his hair blonde and grown one of those super cool... These little Soul patch. Yeah, right oh there. Oh, God. <laughs> um, that was very popular in the early 2000s. He had a new mustache and was essentially on the border of Mexico. Scott also had his brother's ID, multiple cell phones, and he had $15,000 worth of cash on him. Like, what, maybe, you know, one of those things is okay, <laughs> but all of them combined, it's, it's just... It's a lot. And nothing really on paper but, wrong, you, okay, but it's just... Don't tell me that you don't just have $15,000 of cash on you right now. <laughs> like, <What's, laughs> I have that in the console of my car. It's more believable <laughs> that I would have that than a soul patch, that's for sure. <laughs> Uh, So it doesn't look great for Scott. Uh, Scott's Scott's trial started on June 1st, 2004. In his opening statement, Scott's defense attorney, Mark Garagos. Okay, so Scott, and I'm sure I say this in here, so I'm going to repeat myself, but Scott paid for his attorney. He didn't have like a appointed... Yeah, that's Michael Jackson's attorney, I think. Garagos? I think so. Uh, He's like a super famous uh, criminal... You know what? The name did sound familiar. Yeah. Um, who was a high-end attorney uh, at the time, Scott. Oh, so he called Scott a CAD. A CAD? A CAD. Okay. You don't know the term? No, no. Uh, But not a murderer. Okay. And then I said, do you know what a CAD is? Which you do not. No. (laughs) Um, Because I sure didn't. And I looked it up, and a CAD is also in line with being called a rake. And they both mean a man with a moral conduct, particularly womanizing. Okay. I think we need to bring these terms back. Yeah. We just, like... Man whore is good. Like, it's not like a... What do they call it? (laughs) A cad. An F boy. Let's just call him... Oh, yeah. That's a rake. Yeah. That guy's a rake. That guy's such a rake. Such a rake. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, prosecution claimed that Scott was simply a man who was not ready for parenthood. He was not where he wanted to be financially, and he had this weeks-long affair with Amber Fry that he was really excited about. On November 12th of 2004, Scott was convicted of two counts of murder. Uh, for Lazy, he received first degree with spe- special circumstances and received second degree for the fetus that she carried, which I think they should both be first degree, but I think second degree is because like maybe there was a small chance that the baby wouldn't have made it without him. But, I, you know, he, he killed two people knowingly, allegedly, yeah. uh, with what they thought. Right. Well, on March 16th of 2005, Judge Alfred A. DeLucci followed the jury verdict and sentenced Scott to death by lethal injection and ordered him to pay $10,000 towards the cost of Lacey and Connor's funeral, which okay. seems small in comparison. Yeah, he had that 15 grand in his pocket, though. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. But on August 24th, 2020, Scott, at this point, who had been incarcerated for over 17 years, um, in a 7-0 to zero decision, the Supreme Court chose to uphold the conviction but would overturn Scott's um, death sentence. Okay. 
And on December 8th of 2021, uh, Scott was sentenced to life without parole instead of death. In October of 2022, which is right now, um, Scott was moved from death row in San San Quintin's to Mule Creek State Prison in Ione, California. So it seems like this should be the end of the story. I would think so. It's not. What? Get comfy. There's a part two. (laughs) So I think we can both agree that Scott is a cap or a rake. Absolutely. Yeah. Total rake. (laughs) Or in more modern terms, he's he's a douchebag. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And he sucks and he cheated on his beautiful pregnant wife. Mm -hmm. He made her go to her work Christmas party alone while he lied about his whereabouts and went to a Christmas party with his mistress, who was also an unsuspecting victim of this jackass. (laughs) He's a piece of shit as a husband slash boyfriend, and I don't like him one bit. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And least of all, he went out fishing when his eight-month pregnant wife was at home preparing food and mopping. Like on Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve. Like, come on. Like, he sucks. Yeah. But I don't think he's a murderer. Oh. Oh. Hot take. <laughs> I just don't think it's fair to convict a shitty person of being a murderer just based on how much they suck. And here's the thing. If you're going to cheat, you better make sure that your person is safe. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> the right. second, if something turns up, you're done. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Because so, everything that happened with Scott was circumstantial. I was just going to ask that. Was there no Gil Grissom, no CSI came in and found... Uh, there was no DNA. Um, they, the cops went to um, Lacey's parents mm-hmm. and they told them about Amber Fry. They told her that they found blood evidence at the scene and they told her that he had just taken out a huge life insurance policy on Lacey. Mm. The only thing that was true was Amber Fry. The other two things were completely fabricated and it was to get them on their side. They wanted them because they, they never believed Scott did it. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, I'm going to start small and it will get bigger. So just bear with me. Okay. Uh, keep in mind this entire time that the cops and prosecution are correct. Lacey had to have been murdered either on December 23rd. So sorry, this is what they say that she had to be murdered on December 23rd or the 24th. Right. On the 23rd, Scott and Lacey went to see Lacey's half-sister for that hair, everything that was going on there. The curling or something? The curling iron, yep. Uh, When the Peterson house is being photographed after Lacey went missing, in the bathroom is a plugged-in curling iron. This could have been something that sat on their counter, but was and it could have been something that Lacey used regularly. But their housekeeper, Margarita Nava, was there on the 23rd and had cleared the countertop. Some people will say that maybe Lacey came home the night of the 23rd and started practicing curling her hair, but her sister had already curled her hair and had put product in it, so it wouldn't make any so sense. why would you recurl it? Exactly. And Scott would later say, when he was talking to her mom, that he watched her on the morning of the 24th trying to do what her sister had taught her, and he thought she looked really cute, is what he said. Okay. Uh, also, the outfit that her sister said that she wore, remember the black with the... Flowers. You got it. Mm-hmm. Um, was in her hamper. They found that exact outfit in the hamper, and they also found the pajamas that Scott had sworn that she had worn, uh, which included a pair of his own light blue, blue pajama pants. Um, so she had clearly gotten up on the morning of the 24th and changed into her clothing. Right. Uh, during his first interrogation, Scott had said that on the morning of the 24th, 
he and Lacey had watched the Martha Stewart show together. He said he wasn't paying close attention, but when they asked if he could recall anything from the episode uh, that day, he said he seemed to remember something about meringue. He specifically mentions meringue. Hmm. In closing arguments, prosecutor Rick, it changed it to distasteful, but that's not. That's a great that's a, name. That's, that's an more of a lawyer than like a prosecutor. Dis, it was like Destaco or yeah. something, but my autocrack said distasteful. Um, said that meringue was never mentioned in the episode on the 24th. So clearly Scott had to be lying. But in a super cool move, Scott's defense attorney, Mark Garagos, pulled up a clip from the show on December 24th. And at exactly 948, Martha is there talking about meringue cookies. Like, how do you miss that? As a pro, like how how do you like, you kind of lose a lot of credibility in my Have eyes? Have you ever watched Martha Stewart though? <laughs> no, but I. I'm not saying. Sorry, I'm not saying Scott Peterson of the prosecution. How do they? But like, you've got an intern. I, you're I like, assume watching it intently. I would be like watching it and just be like, "What am I going to cook tonight?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I would be completely involved in Martha Stewart. <laughs> Steve Wilkos, maybe, and yeah, Nancy right. Grace. Mm. <laughs> but um, little good it did, but it was still a super cool burn. Yeah. Um, also, Scott had had other affairs. He had three affairs in his five-year marriage. Oh, so he's always rake. been a sleazebag. He's been a rake his whole yeah. life. He's been a cap. Cap? <laughs> Cad. 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 <laughs> but this month-long affair that he was having with Amber Fry was apparently the one that led him into homicide. If we were to believe the cops and the prosecution, there were no witnesses that saw Lacey walking the dog that morning. And according to them, Scott had simply sent Mackenzie out with her leash on to make it appear as though Lacey had been walking the dog And after he left for his fishing excursion. And just disappeared. But at 10.15, Tony Freitas saw Lacey. Between 10.15 and 10.30, Jean Pedro saw Lacey. Around the same time, Vivian Mitchell was doing dishes from her in her kitchen and from her window, she saw Lacey walking Mackenzie and she remembers it clearly because it was Christmas Eve. And she remembers, she said to her husband, Bill, Oh look, it's that lady with the golden retriever. And Bill remembers his wife saying, she's that pregnant girl with the beautiful smile. Later, when Lacey was on the news as missing, Bill told his wife to call the police, which she did, but they never called her back. They had their guy. Bill was eventually, he eventually got so annoyed with the police not returning their call that he went to the city manager to complain that there was no follow-up from the police. Vivian would later say when she asked if she could have been mistaken, she said, how could you duplicate a woman that looked like her? She was so magnetic. She was so pretty. 24 people, in fact, reported seeing Lacey within a one-mile radius. Wow. This is so important because if any of these people saw Lacey, then Scott couldn't have killed her. He, his whole thing was that he was, had her in the truck. He dumped her in the in at the marina. Like right. he was already at his warehouse checking his emails when all these twenty four people saw Lacey. Uh, one of the most compelling things to me, though, is the Medina family home burglary, which was a neighbor of the Petersons. They lived right across the street from Scott and Lacey. They lived at 516 Covina Ave. Uh, the Medinas had gone away from December 24th at around 1030 until the 26th. Well, during that time that they were away from their home, they were burglarized. Uh, the, the burglars stole a whole safe, some jewelry, a weed whacker, and some other smaller items. 
They found the culprits pretty quickly and identified them on January 2nd as Stephen Todd and Donald Pierce. And the very first thing that these criminals said was, we didn't have anything to do with that pregnant girl. That's a little sketchy. Yeah. Then they proceeded to say that they had burglarized the home on December 26th. And the reason this is significant and impossible is because the Medina home was visible by, from the Peterson home. And there was all sorts of media camped out in front of the Peterson home. Oh, right. This is 2002. So it's not just some guy with his iPhone. Right. They've got these big honking cameras and floodlights. And some neighbors even found it so bothersome that they would stay at hotels because they wouldn't be able to sleep. So there was simply no way that these guys were walking out of a home with a safe. And apparently they lost their grip on it. And they had to put it down on the lawn for a second. (laughs) Like there's just, it it couldn't have been done anytime after the 24th. And furthermore, multiple witnesses, including Karen, (laughs) who was the neighbor who put the Peterson's dog back in the yard, reported to seeing this odd-looking van on the 24th. While some of the witnesses described the van as tan, others said it was white. It is believed that the van was originally white, but it was old and damaged, and due to paint chipping off, it had started to show the primer below, uh, giving it that off-white tan kind of look. Regardless of the slight color discrepancy, a lot of the witnesses noticed this van and it was out of place. It didn't have any rear side windows and all of the other windows had been darkly tinted or blacked out. And it had been circling the neighborhood until the Medinas left at around 1030 uh, on the morning of the 24th. Then the van was seen parked outside of their home with one of the rear doors opened. I, I I never all the all the like my memory of this case not once was like police mishandling ever come up. Yeah, no, seems, they had their guy, you know. Right. So what do they care? I guess. And like, here's the thing: like the the, the couple of things I've mentioned, which was like him telling Amber that he lost his wife, and him pretending to be in Paris at the vigil. You don't need to hear anything else. Like to me, that that sold the case. Yeah. yeah. So like. When I started this, I was actually, it, someone recommended this case to me and I was like, oh, this is open shut. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, there's a lot more going on here. Yeah. All the, like that neighbor, like I know, you, you know, they say, oh, a, a human witness is one of the most unreliable pieces of evidence. But when you've got. 24. That's, that's a lot. Significant, right? Yeah. Um, and the thing is that, that nobody was calling these people back. Like some of them were calling multiple times and like nobody's calling them back. Hmm. Um. So, well, we already know that the home was burglarized and we already know who did it. So why is this significant here? And I will tell you. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Tom and Elizabeth Harshman were out for a drive on Christmas Eve somewhere between 2 and 4 p.m. Tom says at the corner of Scenic Drive and Claws Road, they saw this white slash tan van pulled over. But what disturbed them was the very pregnant woman squatting with her back up against a chain link fence she was relieving. She was going pee. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, a scruffy looking man in his 30s, um, presumably in his 30s, watched over her. Once she was done, he assisted her back into the van. And Tom and Elizabeth sat or saw another arm extend from the van and pull the woman into it. They were so disturbed by what they had seen that they circled back, but the van had gone. Later that night, Tom had called 911 to report what he had seen. They took his statement, but the Lacey Peterson tip line was not in place until after December 26th. When Tom saw the news on December 28th and saw Lacey's picture, he was certain that that's who he saw. He called the tip line, gave his statement, and he was given a bait stamp of 14789. 
Do you know what a bait stamp is? Mm-mm. Okay, so it's, uh, hold on, I have it here. <laughs> <laughs> I just know this, but well, uh, <laughs> I have it here for clarification we'll for you. We'll sort this all out yes. in post. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a numbering system to give identity and label to legal documents. Okay. Uh-huh. So um, they had given him that bait stamp, and but they had l- labeled his name incorrectly. So they put him down as Tom Harsh. Luckily, he called back later that same day and gave further information, uh, at which time they gave him a bait stamp of 14791 and correctly identified him. However, no one ever called the Harshmans back to discuss what they had seen. Again. So back to December 24th, it is said that Lacey went online to look up a red fleece gap scarf to buy, as well as a sunflower umbrella stand. Lacey loves sunflowers and had one tattooed on her ankle. But what prosecution wants us to believe is that Scott actually made those searches in order to make it look like Lacey was still alive. Um, Keep in mind, this is 2002, and I think that the internet alone was in its infancy, let alone knowing what can be traced. Oh, right, yeah. All that kind of stuff. So with Scott doing these searches, along with him placing the leash on Mackenzie uh, to make it seem as though Lacey was still alive, this man, this man is cunning. Although there, there was zero evidence of any type of murder in the house, and apparently he's just this evil genius who can clean up things really quickly, and he's got, right. he's got all these receipts. He went to the, the marina. He had a receipt from the marina. He went and he got gas, but he didn't get a receipt from the gas. So they said... The receipt from the marina was sketchy, and then that he didn't have a gas receipt was sketchy. So it was like, he, damned if you do, damned if you don't. <laughs> it just seems, and not, not a comment on his guilt or innocence, but it just seems odd that you can kind of prosecute a case with no evidence. With no evidence. That's exactly right. Yeah, it just seems. It, you know what? It's just that he was having an affair. Yeah. Just don't it, it, don't have an affair if you don't want to go to jail. That's all I have to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my hot take. <laughs> so uh, when I first heard of this case, what sold me on Scott being 100% guilty was the fact that he told Amber that he had lost his wife and that it would be his first Christmas without her. To me, it seemed like an open and shut case. But as I got older, I realized that people can be shitty and manipulative and also not be a murderer. <laughs> They're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> when Scott purchased the boat on December 14th, the guy he purchased it from told Scott that he had not taken the boat at September. So from his knowledge, it ran just fine, but he couldn't guarantee anything. On December 24th, it is undisputed that this is the first time that Scott took the boat into the water. So for such an evil genius... It almost seems irresponsible for him to take it out for the first time while disposing of his wife's body, just fingers crossed that it would work. Just not knowing how yeah, the motor's going to... Hmm. You know? <laughs> so there was also a very important witness at the marina named Yuri Faria. He was standing on the dock as Scott struggled while he was trying to get his boat off of his truck and into the water. Yuri said that he can say with 100% certainty that the boat was empty aside from a few fishing materials. Unfortunately for Scott... Yuri had an upcoming vacation that ran simultaneously with the trial. So Scott's defense lawyer, who, by the way, was a high-end lawyer that Scott was paying and was not a public defender, was basically like, no worries. Enjoy your vacation. Uh, We don't need you. Oh, my God. (laughs) Right? So like I previously mentioned, on December 24th, when Scott went to his warehouse, he putzed around online for a bit, checked his emails, sent out Merry Christmas messages, and then looked up how to build a tool that he had bought. And he actually took 20 minutes to build that tool, which he later would prove to investigators. He would show them the built tool. Mm -hmm. But um, they were led to believe 
so we're led to believe that he did all of this nonsense while Lacey's body's in his truck. And you would think, Scott being the cunning genius that he is, he would have a tad more urgency than just doing all this stuff. Farting <laughs> just around farting the around. He would, if, if it was like a Facebook time, he would have just been like on Facebook. Unless he's one of those like egomaniacs who's like, I'll never get caught. I can dawdle around. Yeah, I think it takes a little bit of practice to get to that point, though. Like, I don't think. Your yeah, first you're right. This is like the uh, the end of like the Dahmer. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> did you watch that? I did. Oh, yeah. Dear. <laughs> that was. That's a l- very. OK, I don't even feel bad about disturbing you. Anymore, yeah, then. <laughs> no, that was wild. <laughs> so uh, it was also tested three separate times by Scott's attorney by the actual boat manufacturer and by a trial watcher. So like a enthusiastic weirdo like me. <laughs> trial watcher. <laughs> Sorry, what was tested out? The boat? I'll tell you. Okay. So these, it was three separate times they tested out um, when they attempted to get a 153 pound dummy off of the aluminum boat, mm-hmm. which is how much Lacey weighed at the time, um, as well as the 200 pounds that Scott was in order to get her off. They would both kind of have to be on one side of the boat, right? Right. Um, And every single time, the boat either capsized or the back end ended up sinking in. However, these tests were not allowed in the courtroom. Hmm. And then there's the crazy thing that we never hear about, which was that seven months before Lacey went missing, about an hour and a half away from Modesto, Evelyn Hernandez, a very pregnant legal immigrant, and a single mother went missing under very similar circumstances. Hmm. And she also washed up on the San Francisco Bay. But she was not the stereotypical beauty that Lacey Peterson was. So until researching this case, I'd never even heard about her. You see, I understand why the garbage media wouldn't pick up on that. But as an investigator, you would think... uh, That's very valid information. Like, pregnant lady dead. That should line up. There should be no pretty... Like, and like <laughs> within an hour and a half, like that's so close. That's like yeah. here to Toronto. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, we could make that drive right now and be home mm-hmm. for dinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, she literally endured the exact same fate as Lacey and no one even heard about it. Uh, and my last fact that I am going to share with you, which is a bit morbid, I think I already told you, um, while Lacey's torso washed ashore, all of her organs were missing, heart, lungs, all of them, which is not normal, even for bodies left in the water. The only thing that was left was the top half of her, her uterus, uh, almost as if somebody had attempted a C-section, but that's purely specu- speculation. Wow. And that's it. What do you think? I think that uh, any, if, if listen, regardless of his innocence or whatever, I think anything, it should be a bit of a retrial, no? Like, it just seems like there's so much that wasn't let in, and, and I don't know what the reasoning, the 24 witnesses seems like something that should be guaranteed the to be let The harsh ones, I think, to me, are the biggest thing. Like, the, this husband and wife who, like, in no other circumstances have they seemed to be, like, these, this dramatic couple that's just looking for a limelight or anything. They see this pregnant woman peeing, mm-hmm. and then two people in a similar van to the van that robbed the house across the street. Like it's just, to me, it's just so wild that they just didn't even investigate that at all. They didn't call them back. They just, they had their guy and that was it. So do you think it was the robbers? I think it could have been the robbers. Yeah. I don't think it was Scott. I don't think Scott's smart enough to pull this off and have zero DNA anywhere. Yeah. Right. He, you know, he'd had affairs in the past. It wasn't like he had this affair. For, he met her on November 20th and then Lacey went missing on the 24th of December. 
So he knew this woman for a month. Mm -hmm. You really think like, I know that like at the beginning of a relationship, it's all like, you know, hot and heavy and stuff, but I'm not killing anybody. Right. (laughs) No, not at the beginning. (laughs) Oh, it's usually at the end that I (laughs) kill people. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I get out of things. But yeah, that's that's uh, my take on wow. the Scott Peterson case. Yeah, it's it's interesting how much you just don't like. I'll just go back to the Dahmer thing. The one thing, and I asked my dad and my mom this. I said, "What's the one thing you at remember the hot dog cart? at the hot dog cart?" <laughs> <laughs> yes, big topic of conversation. <laughs> say, "What's the one thing you remember at Dahmer's death?" And they're like, "The broomstick." And I said, "Yeah, same here. That he got a broomstick, you know, shoved up his Hay Macarena, which." <laughs> Apparently used to didn't happen. Down for morning radio. Yeah, that's right. I always do. Yeah. Anytime it's like we talk about sex, I always spell it. I was like, yeah, I like S E X. Yeah. No, I don't know. Yeah. So just a lot of misinformation and stuff that you just learn. Like again, to harp back on it, but that twenty-four eyewitness thing seems like if there's one thing that you admit admit in, into the courtroom. And he has, he's gone up for appeals and like they did take him off death row. So there has to be something there. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, uh, we, California hasn't executed anyone since 2006. And I think it's kind of a, it's barbaric and I don't think they're really doing it anymore. Yeah. Especially California is like the most woke state. Too. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Who's that? Gavin Newsom? What's that? Gavin Newsom down yeah. there, the governor. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I, he is, I went on to like a Facebook group that was like a, pro Scott Peterson, like he's innocent kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And there's like a countdown towards his new trial. Okay. So, I mean, I guess I hope the, all this evidence gets brought into place because it just, it just seems so sloppy to me. I mean, I don't, I don't like the guy. Mm-hmm. I don't want him to die. Well, especially if you think, you know, if that's the case, then there's those two robbers out there right. that have murdered two people and are just living it up. With and their new safe that yeah, they probably have. That's right. That they had to leave on the lawn. <laughs> okay. Well, I think we've uh, covered this and I think we solved this case. I th- <laughs> <laughs> I'm going on the record as saying we solved this. <laughs> oh, I want to ask you one more thing. Okay. Do you think that he's guilty in the court of public opinion because of that media sensationalism at 1, the early 2000s? 1,000%. That kind of guides the investigation. Everybody 100%. gets caught up in that. Also, with Lacey's body coming ashore on they gave his alibi away like day two and then her body you know came exactly where they said it was going to be right so if you're one of the so robbers you're i'm like, one hey, of these people i'm like this bye dump it up there <laughs> yeah. where yeah hmm, crazy yeah so weird there it is all right investigator all right <laughs> that's until the next one thanks for having me thanks for being here bye <laughs>